All right. Morning, evening, afternoon. Welcome to the Plug Live podcast. And today we are joined by the man, the myth, the legend, John Hasselbauer. John, how are you doing today? Good. Top of the morning from the other side of the pond over here. Nice to be on with you. We've had plenty <laughs> of Twitter interaction. You're running the best newsletter in the game. Um, and now we get to talk golf together. I love it. How are you doing? Well, I was ready to give all the compliments, but uh, that's nice that you that you're showing some my way. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing good. So if I get any figures wrong, it's probably because I haven't had my nighttime coffee. It's currently half eleven here, and John has very kindly decided to join. So appreciate jumping on. Uh, actually, probably should have clarified before we begin. John, people may know him as at PGA Tout on Twitter. John, how, actually, I presume that just came about. Just uh, was there any story behind that? instagram handle or is it just something you came up with one day um the story is actually that it was xfl tout and i don't know if the xfl even made its way to ireland for you guys to, to have followed that at all but that was very short-lived here it's basically like an nfl spin-off league um and it, the covid basically killed the league and it was a thing for like two months but I was really bored and I wanted to start a Twitter account and like force myself to follow a new sport and get an edge on it betting because nobody else cared enough to, to track it. And I recently knew, moved to New Jersey and New Jersey was a state that it was brand new to legalize betting and I was living alone. So I was like, I have to be like a smart better and like force myself to do it. So I created it. It was XFL Tower. XFL folded two months later. I had like a couple hundred followers um, where I was basically like following every single person who tweeted an XFL tweet. I would follow them. And then I would like unfollow the ones who didn't follow me back like two days later. And that was how I got like a couple hundred followers. Like nobody cared about XFL. So I was just going to try to make it look like people were following me. Those were my humble beginnings. And then uh, <laughs> that fell under and and June came around and um, golf was the first sport back. And I've always loved golf, playing it, talking about it, um, watching it, all of that. So I was like, that makes sense for me to to dive into that sport. Um, and P so I changed it from XFL Tout to PGA Tout, kept the same handle and everything else. Um, and, and the rest is history, I guess. What a story. <laughs> but I, I never heard of XFL Tout um, because... I remember spotting you for the first time and there will be golf stats here later in the podcast, but I was always just curious about this. I remember spotting you for the first time and seeing the PGA. It looks like the PGA tour logo. Obviously and I was like, what is this? Again? This isn't the official PGA tour account. And then obviously changed the tour into two. And yeah, it's a, it's pretty catchy. I think it's caught on a lot. Yeah. It, it was definitely an attention grabber. I've gotten a lot of like of app mentions for people who are like cursing out the PGA tour um retweets from people who thought they were retweeting the pga tour so i think it helped definitely stand up <laughs> the account for maybe the wrong reasons but yeah i'm a marketer so that's <laughs> maybe that was all intentional in the end i'm just after realizing that the or is beside the t on the keyboard as well so like if you accidentally oh, yeah. were out one night and you hit the t and saved the or all of a sudden they're tagging <laughs> you instead of the pga tour so you're probably getting a lot of hate mail at the moment well, that was my hope with the website too, when it used to be pjtout.com. Uh, I thought that I was going to get traffic from pjtour.com and that this was this perfect, uh, everything coming together, but it was the opposite. It actually redirected people who were looking for my site. It was, it was like, oh, you meant to go to the pjtour.com. So it would take people who were looking for my site and send them to the other one. <laughs> so that was, that was an early lesson um, of things not to do from a SEO standpoint. Um, but fortunately now I, I, I'm with the lines and they, they are masters at SEO and, um, you know, people can find my stuff now. Jeez, I always thought you were like just a big numbers guy, but <laughs> there really is method to the madness when it comes to it. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's what a story. All right, let's dive into this. First of all, we'll start with what's happened in the last week. So, um, so many random storylines like Denny McCarthy misses the cup which I'll have to speak to you about. Bryson's talking about pizza bars. Uh, J.H. Kim goes and wins the Wyndham Championship. Um, Nick Faldo retires. Ashley Bu Buhai, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, goes and wins the KPMG Women's 
Um, or sorry, the, it's the Open Championship after missing six out of her last 12 major cuts. How did you feel about John? Anything in particular stand out to you or we'll only spend two or three minutes on this? Yeah, a lot. And you know, it's funny. I was actually watching the, uh, the Utah something, the, um, the corn fairy event because the corn fairy's got some cool down the wire finishes. It's always fun to watch those guys down the stretch because they care so much. Um, so I was watching some of that too. Um, did not catch much of the women's, but I know that was a good playoff finish. Um, the Wyndham was a heartbreaker with Denny. Um, that was that was bad. That was a bad call by me. Um, I, I was really feeling invincible after the Kisner um, <laughs> moment the year before. But as it turns out, um, just because you want somebody to win is not enough for them to even make it through the cut. A, a cut that literally the entire field made it through except for Denny. So, uh, that was a tough L. I had Russell Henley in the mix for a, for a minute. And I was going to just give that money away if I won, because I would have been right for, for the wrong reasons. But, um, regardless, uh, Tom Kim, good win. Hello world moment. Uh, kicking myself a bit for not betting him. I had him, um, short lit there. I was deciding between four guys. I was going to pick two of them. He was, he was one of the two odd men out. So, Always oh, tough when uh, when you're close on a guy and he wins, but it was a good community win. Um, so happy for a lot of guys who hit him, and um, and yeah, he, he seems like he's going to be here to stay for a while. I I've never okay, maybe I'm wrong here, so don't look at Twitter that much on a Sunday night. But I'm not sure if I've ever seen so many people like on one person. It happened a few months ago with somebody. Uh, that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, like literally, the final whistle was blown. And it was like tweet after tweet after tweet, told you, told you, told you, 30 to 1, 60 to 1, whatever you had him at. It just seemed like everybody had him. Yeah, I was surprised because 35 to me seemed like a really short number. And that seemed to be where most people bet him at. And I was looking at other people who were 35. Uh, In hindsight, like he's top 40 in the world, shorter than Denny McCarthy on a lot of books, like probably probably should have gone that that route um if i could do it again but um yeah you know it, it made sense he's a really accurate uh off the tee the putting we nobody could have expected that but uh he was a good putter and we know that this is a course where good putters tend to thrive so he checked the boxes that you were looking for a little too unproven for me to have to have jumped at 35 um 45 i would have bet it and he did open there and i missed it so that's probably why i didn't bet it but um a good win a lot of smart people out there who 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 saw it coming i think cam smith at the open might have might have been the most popular winner this year but um that may that's have been all thanks to second. Brian yeah. <laughs> he created that narrative apparently uh which i actually jumped it. on as well so that was a nice little win um there was something there that i was going to mention off the top of my head that i just can't remember but I will. I just do want to acknowledge this tweet from Justin Ray that since hole by hole tracking started 40 seasons ago, he is the only player to start a PGA Tour event with quad or worse and win the tournament. Apparently, after he made that quad, he was like 200 to one. Because I saw somebody <laughs> sent a screenshot to a group chat, which is wild. Oh man, I wish I knew that. Uh, like I, I had room for a 200 to one ad. I didn't have room for him at 35. Okay, let's. Let me do a quick one-minute dive. Give me... So I'm not... I said this before on my podcast, and I'll always say I'm not a massive gambler or I'm not big into placing bets. How do you place these bets? Like, do you say, right, I'm going to allocate a certain amount of units to certain categories, or how does that work? Yeah, I have a pretty... Everybody's different. I have a pretty structured... um, it's three units on outrights, three units on placements, which are, I. it used to be matchups. I, I just call them props in general, but 90% of tournaments, I'm just doing top 20s or 30s or 40s. Um, and those are, so the outrights are three units to pay 24 units each. So regardless if I'm betting somebody 10 to one or 100 to one, it pays out the same. And mm. that just keeps it structured so that, it's also like good when you're sweating to know that like regardless of that if this guy I bet or that guy I bet wins, I'm I'm gonna win the same. So I'm not like rooting for one guy versus the other. 
Um, so I like to structure it that way. And then first round leaders, I do like a half unit in and I think it's 10 out um, on just bombs. Um, I put very little thought into that. That's the most success I've had all year. <laughs> I have no explanation for why I think I've hit like five or six, maybe <laughs> it's I, a lot. Um, and there's no, there's no rhyme or reason behind it. It takes me literally 30 seconds to put a first round leader card together. And I don't even look at like the wave splits, which you're supposed to do. So I can't explain it. <laughs> this is just, oh my God, it's plucking numbers out of a hat, which obviously you don't do. But like, do you even look at like, let's say their final round from last week? Um, do you look at them sort of numbers or is there, is it literally just whoever you think fits the course? Or are you like, a lot of times it's there's like a, a type of player who is a first round leader type, like half the field just doesn't have it in them to go super low. Um, so mm. I scroll straight to like 60 to one or longer because it's usually going to chop too. And then at that point, like it's not worth it to bet somebody who's like 20 to one. Mm. Um, so I usually want to start looking at like 60 to one or longer. And then I'm looking at like, cause I bet it every single week. I kind of, I, I track it. I, I know who's like usually up there. So I don't know guys like uh, Cam Tringale and Adam Svensson and uh, Tom Hoagie. Even these are guys who are like always in the mix on on Thursday, but then they just like don't have it to 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 finish out four rounds. So uh, it's usually like my default if I if I really like somebody, they fit the course well, but it's a good field, or there's just guys that I like better outright. I'll usually just work around it with a first round leader bet. That's wild. Uh, all right, that's the podcast wrapped and finished because <laughs> I'm in envy of how good it is. Um, I do just want to acknowledge, I know we mentioned it briefly earlier, so Ashley Bohai won the Open, the Women's Open, defeated Inji Chun on the fourth extra hole. Um, yeah, she threw away a five-shot lead. She's 33 years old, has missed six out of her last 12 cuts in majors, threw away five-shot lead before beating Inji Chun in a playoff. And I will acknowledge as a true patriot that Leona McGuire finished T4, which was excellent for her. Big, uh, personally, big regret not going to Murfield. Uh, I saw Noli, No Lane Up do such a good job of covering the uh, LGP, LB, LPGA. And they do such a good job of covering it and the courses and who the star players are. And I wish I'd made the trip across the pond, but Murfield looks brilliant. It looks How far is that trip from you? so it depends what you're doing uh i went to the open and got a boat so i had to drive three like i literally went by myself and i knew like one or two people going over that i might have met or might not so three hour or an hour and a half drive up to belfast about two hour ferry and then a three and a half hour so it comes around to eight hours or something like that um but i can get a plane which i should have done and that takes like that's probably door to door it's probably six hours i'd say Okay. Interesting. Okay. I mean, worth it to get to the open though. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Um, I have a, oh, it's probably a story for a different podcast. <laughs> I have, okay. I'll just say it real quick. Cause I've actually never mentioned it. So, uh, when I got to the open championship, I had tickets for all four days. So I bought from one of my friends who's supposed to be going, who actually moved to America from the summer. So I got there and I went on Thursday, went on Friday, went on Saturday. I walked up on Sunday and I scanned my ticket and it starts beeping and it goes beep, beep, beep. And your man goes, can you stand over there? So I stand to the side and he's like, try to scan it again. He goes, you're going to need to go to the ticket office. So I walk over to the ticket office and I'm chatting to a young guy there who's asking me who do I think is going to win. He's like, I'm going to call my manager. Just give me a second. And I'm like, lads, I've been here for the last three days. What's going on? I turn around 20 seconds later and there's eight police officers around me. And I'm like, I thought somebody was making a TikTok or somebody at home was rang one of the guards and uh, and said dangerous to prank me. I'm like, that's, I started laughing. I was like, what's going on? They're like, sorry, you're going to come with us. And I've never, ever done anything sketchy in my life. So I walk over and I'm kind of like a little bit nervous at this stage because I realize how pretty quick it is. And two seconds later, a security guard comes up. He takes a photo of me. He's like, he like holds my face. He takes a photo. He's like, you're not getting the ticket today. Don't you dare try to come back here. I'm like, that's there's something seriously wrong. What's going on? 
so apparently my ticket had been associated with oil protesters that had planned oh. a protest on the 18th green and i'm i'm like that's roy's roy's a four shot lead here i have to get in and cover this like this is like my dream come true and the head of the or not the head the head of security of the rna comes out and he's like there he's like you're not getting in and i i am distraught because this is my big day i'm walking away and the police officer the police officers escorting me out of the place two police officers and just as we part ways we walk by 20 meters apart and he gets a message in his ear he's like hey buddy come back they're going to try and get you in. They think you're genuine. They don't think you're going to protest, which I had no intention of protesting. Yes. <laughs> Standing there for an hour and a half, and the head guy of security comes back and goes, listen, we've gone to the head of the RNA. I'm not sure what your man's name is. They've made a special exemption for you. Oh. At, like, me just there to watch the golf. And my yeah. ticket, like, there was only three other tickets in the group that I bought. And we knew one went to a person from Golf Digest and two went to another two people from home. I just thought, it's never been told, but if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you'd be interested in it. I thought it was the craziest thing ever. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so they must say got some tip that some reseller was was giving them all the way to protesters. That's crazy. So that that's my abbreviated version. But, like, I had to... Like the stuff I'd go through, I'd show it on my phone, I'd show my emails, I'd pull up my top to show I have no tattoos of like anti-fuel or anti-oil. <laughs> it was like the most thorough thing. And like the security guard coming up and shoving a phone in my face to take a photo with flash on. I could not get over what was happening. But <laughs> oh, Well, I'm glad it worked out for you. That would have been yeah. some trip to go all those miles over and then be turned away at the door. But I like I was this close to like being around the corner, never seeing those police officers again, and just thinking I'm done for the day and going to watch it in the pub for the day by myself. Uh, uh, just sick. But yeah, was, unfortunately, it didn't work out. It wasn't the dream finish that we wanted with Rory. That I wanted with Rory, but anyways. Um, sorry, John. That's a that's a side story. Uh, <laughs> that's I a wanted, good story. <laughs> I wanted to get out an audio version because I've sent WhatsApp voice messages about it, and uh, yeah, I felt like I should have been on a podcast at some stage. Um. But yeah, we do have a FedEx Cup, the first FedEx Cup playoff to look forward to this week. Um, all right, let's just do this. The FedEx Cup playoffs purse this year is 75... I'll just do this a tweet from Kyle Porter. It's $75 million total up from 15... Up 15 million from last year, sorry. It's $18 million for first. Top seven all get over 2 million. Top 10 all get over 1 million. Everyone who makes Tour Championship is guaranteed 500k, and everyone who makes the BMW is guaranteed 175k. How do you feel about that, John? Do you think it makes any difference to your viewing perspective or dropping the ocean? No, it does. It doesn't change my viewing perspective, and it does come off a little bit hypocritical after all of Jay Monahan's comments about cash grabs from Liv, um, and then just sort of coming up with more money to throw at limited field events. It's a little ironic, um, but it's good for the players that the, there's something to play for in the PGA tour. Unfortunately, there's a decent crop of people in the playoffs who are going to go to live afterwards. And they're basically like, Oh, I'll get paid even more money. So I'll just wait to go to live a couple mm. more months. So, um, you know, I, it doesn't make me any more like there's already like a crazy amount of money on the line here. So it, yeah. I, I'm still like excited to watch it. But I guess the elite players are like going to be super focused now because there's a ton of money to be had. Yeah, I, I feel the exact same. So Liv was actually on, especially the one over in London. That was on, on a like peak hour time. Like it was on at like mid afternoon. We could watch it. And I was just standing, I was sitting there and watching it. And I had no interest in watching it because whether these guys made came last or they came first, they were all getting paid a ton of money. And there's no like I've harped on about this for ages on podcasts before, but there's just nothing to play for. There's no prestige, there's no legacy. And people can give out all they want, but at the end of the day, like that matters a hell of a lot. And just open these purses is just looking after the players. And it should be not, in my opinion, it should not be marketed towards the fans and the way the PGA Tour does. It's always a consistent messaging towards fans saying, oh, hey, we've upped the purse this year, another 15 million. You should like it a bit more. It's like, 
nobody cares. Just give us a good product, and that's all we want. Yeah, in any other sport, the overpaid athlete who doesn't need to work for his contract anymore and is kind of past the the hump is is like the most hated player on the team. Like if I'm a Yankees fan and we paid Giancarlo Stanton, but I don't know how closely you follow baseball or anything, but we gave him like a massive contract and the last three or four years of his deal, he's going to be not very good and making the most money on the team. Um, he's going to get booed and nobody's really going to be happy for him if he's struggling. Um, so that's kind of what live is based on. So I don't think it's great. Like, as you said, like as a, as a spectator or a viewer, I'm not really polling for these guys. I have, I, they're already rich. So I'm not like, it doesn't matter to me if they win or not. Um, and it is kind of confusing to, to follow along so far. So for now, I'm, I'm kind of out on it. I don't really see the appeal to bet on it either, but we'll, mm. we'll see that the league seems to be changing every day. So we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah. So the last, the last thing I'll say about just marketing in general is I think the FedEx cup would do so like people would be so much more interested if they didn't market it as this massive money competition and they actually marketed it as like a prestigious honor to go and win the FedEx Cup because like, wasn't a few, I don't know, was the players or the tour or the tour championship, but Roy's walking off and he's making the dollar symbol sign. And like, it just seemed like that's all that they cared about. Whereas like, there's no, like no players going around jumping up and down. Like, <laughs> like they've won a major at the FedEx Cup. And I think that's just because they market it really, really badly. And the fact that it's just massive purses. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it's hard to manufacture prestige because it, it wasn't a thing and and legacy comes from history and, and time and they basically tried to stand this thing up for people to care about as much as majors and the only way you can really do that is by just throwing money at it, I guess, or just pumping propaganda throughout the season that this matters a bunch. Um, but... You know, the issue that I actually have with, with the, the FedEx playoffs is if you win the North or used to be the Northern Trust. <laughs> I made that mistake. I need to apologize. This event or the BMW, you get over double the FedEx Cup points if you were to win a major. And that is problematic because it's become a thing where if you win the tour championship, you're the player of the year. And it's very disproportionate to have a good FedEx Cup playoff versus a very good sustained season with success in majors. And that's the reason that Patrick Cantlay won um, Player of the Year last year because he won the BMW, whereas you know John Rahm had a major and, and won a bunch of events. So it, it's a little problematic in that sense because I think the people who vote are just like, oh, he won, won FedEx Cup, he's Player of the Year. But it's like really disproportionate in the way that they're rewarding wins completely agree um like it's a podcast for another day but patrick hanley winning player of the year last year was in my opinion a disgrace and <laughs> should never have happened and he probably should have gone to live after it because that oh how could he accept that no but honestly it should have been given john Rand, but i agree with you it's the majors are like these players get so much more hyped up for a major than they do for one of these playoff events. <laughs> like, yeah, hundred percent. And I just think it's it's crazy to get more from these events. Um, and I actually, you've brought up a good point that if they actually did market, I keep talking about marketing, but like if they actually did market themselves like a season long competition, and you go and win the best comp or you go and win the best tournaments, and come to the FedEx Cup playoffs, you have a really good chance and. It just doesn't happen like that. You could be standing twentieth, win one or win one, and get top ten, and all of a sudden you're up within the top, I don't know, four or five of the FedEx Cup potentially, heading into the final round, and it's like no one cares. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically like a microcosm of um, why we don't care about live, because just because you throw a bunch of money at it doesn't mean the stakes are are greater than they were at a major. Um, and that's basically the decision that every golfer has to make now. It's like, do I like, 
what am I giving up? And it's just chasing money worth it, blah, blah, blah. So again, that's probably another podcast, but um, it, we're in the playoff sure season now. So um, yeah, the, right. I don't know. <laughs> it could easily go on a tangent, but I won't. Yeah. All right. I want you to fill in the blank for me. All right. Blank is your 2022 WGC FedEx St. Jude champion. And you're not going to convince me otherwise. Thank you. <laughs> Who's that going to be? Oh, man. This has taken a whole new meeting one one week later. <laughs> <laughs> I have that like framed above my bed, that little tweet. Yeah. From the oh, yeah. yeah. This went from auto tail to auto fade really quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have um, anyone off the top of your head? Oh, man. I'm actually feeling very lost over the board right now. If only, well, I would say Sam Burns is, is a player that I think checks every box that you need at this event. So he's the only bet I've really placed so far. So if you ask me right now, my answer would be Sam Burns. Okay. Great pick. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the course. Um, uh, it's a uh, 7,233 yards. This is actually from John's The Lions article, which is excellent and is released every so. So, just briefly mention your schedule. I know you do like a few articles for them. Oh, yeah. Um, so in the playoffs, just given the nature of um, we don't know who, what the field will actually be until the end of the tournament before because a certain number of players advance, um, the, the playoff articles will go up on Mondays. Um, but in general, it's tournament preview on Sundays, a player write up a value plays for, for DraftKings primarily on Tuesday mornings and then final betting card, um, on Wednesday afternoons. And that is all on the lines.com. So far. So every, yeah, every week, every Monday, I read the one that you release on Sunday night and I know for the playoffs it's Monday and this is actually all taken from it. So it's 7,233 yards to par 70, four par trees, 12 par fours, two par fives. The Greens are Bermuda's Bermuda. Um, architect Ron Pritchard. Historical cut line, two under. Uh, past winners, I'll just briefly mention some of them here. Abraham Answer won at 16 under. Justin Thomas won at 13 under. And Brooks Kepka won at 16 under. Um, what are you expecting from the course this week, John? Um, I think it, it'll be definitely more of a test than we've seen the last few weeks. Um, I would say winning score will probably be somewhere around like 14 under, um, which is a good test. And whenever you're not pushing birdie fest, that puts more of an emphasis on short game and scrambling, which is not a skill set that's particularly necessary for many of the stretches we see on the PGA Tour. So I, I like golf like that, where um, if you don't hit a perfect drive, it's going to be hard to hold the greens and you're going to have to really fight to make a par. Um, but on the flip side, if you do hit the fairways, then the greens complexes themselves are pretty straightforward. They're pretty flat and they're, they're very true to, to how they roll. Um, but it is firm and fast as well. So that's a lot of characteristics that we're used to seeing in the Florida swing. Um, so I'm just looking at, at kind of comp performance of people who, who typically have more success on the Florida swing on Bermuda courses it's a just a very Bermuda layout um, from tee to green. So a lot of like gnarly Bermuda rough, which we saw that at the uh, at, at Setchfield last week, that it, it really can be difficult to hold the greens when you're hitting out of the rough here. So big premium on accuracy off the tee. Approach play is always important. A little bit more around the green emphasis than we usually see. And then your Bermuda putters should be able to pop on these greens, but we've also seen because it's such a true role um, that like lesser putters um, like the T no putt T to green guys actually do have a fair shot here. Yeah. Super. Um, yeah. Reading through your, your stats. Actually, I want to just briefly mention comp courses. Um, I don't even need to read dive into these, but I'll just mention them just for the podcast. Pebble, this from your article, I think, John. Uh, Pebble Beach, East Lake, Innishbrook, Wiley, Harbour Town, TPC Sawgrass, TPC Scottsdale, and PGA National. Is there any of those in particular that jump out as like the number one comp course this week? Yeah, I would say East Lake, uh, which hosts the Tour Championship, and and that's sometimes a little tricky to pull from because it's always going to be a thirty man field. And it's always good players play in there, so it's hard to really draw who's who's great there. But 
Uh, you know, Xander, Rory, Billy Horschel, those guys are, are usually like the top guys at Eastlake year over year. So, so there are guys to look out for. Um, they have the same sort of Bermuda, the, the exact same champion Bermuda on the greens. Zoysia fairways is pretty unique um, on the PGA tour and, and they have the same there. So um, similar scoring conditions as well. I think Eastlake is a very good comp. It's just kind of limited in, in the data we can pull from it. I think Sawgrass is a very good comp, another like kind of Florida region, Bermuda positional, but a good test mid teens winner. Um, I think that's very solid. And Pebble Beach is, plays very differently from this course, but the winners um, are very strong correlation. So um, Dustin Johnson has dominated at both. Uh, Daniel Berger has been pretty dominant at both. Um, even like uh, Ches Reavy has had some of his best results at both of these courses. Phil Mickelson has not won here, but he's been like top 10 every time he's played it. So uh, for some reason, a lot of just correlation with those two events. So uh, I am looking at that just to, to see some like crossover success between those events. Brilliant. Well, you know, a hell of a lot better than I do. So I'm not going to argue. I didn't. Yeah. Comp course is something that I can never get my head around. Um, but I just, that's why I always read your articles because you just give me all of them. I want to <laughs> ask a quick question here. Right. So last week I liked Adam Scott. and somebody brought up the point that do we want to bet the live golfers? How do you feel about betting live golfers? So I'll just say, um, I'll give you like three here. Cameron Smith obviously won his last start at the open championship. Hideki withdraw miss or withdraw 68 miss cut Adam Scott, 76, 37, 15 last three starts. How do you feel about Ben? Is there, do you ignore them or do you place less emphasis on them? If you think that they have other objectives in mind. Um, I would say FedEx playoffs, everyone here like has a job to do and there's a lot of money at stake. As we say, even if your, your mind is set on live, it's probably because of the money. So you're still probably motivated by the money that's at stake now. Um, like we saw last year with, um, with Patrick Cantley, it just takes one win in these first two events of the playoffs and you're in prime position to, to win the thing. So, um, I'm not going to fade anybody because they're on the bubble. Um, if they're playing good golf, I'm, I'm still going to be interested. Okay, super. Thanks for clarifying that. All right, let's get in. Who's, I suppose you're, you mentioned Sam Burns already. You think he's your number one. Who would be the second person that you go to? Or feel free to touch on or add anything that you wanted to add to Sam Burns. Uh, from a betting perspective or just generally speaking, fit in the course um, let's go betting perspective um some other names at the top of the board and i'm having a really tough time narrowing it down if i take one guy in in like the 18 to 20 range or if i take two more in like 30 range but um cameron smith justin thomas um yeah those are those are two names that i'm kind of mulling over i think tony finau wouldn't shock me if he continued to keep this terror going um usually if you see somebody who's stringing together a bunch of wins but it's because of the putter you can kind of overlook it but he's been dominant really ball striking and tee to green so it seems like he's just got the ball in the string hitting it wherever he wants right now and the putter's not atrocious so i i don't think it's a bad number on tony fino 22 to 1 i've given that some thought um and then in the next tier you know, you've got guys like Zalatoris and, and Morikawa. I'm not totally sold there yet. So um, I think for me, I'll either be starting in like the 18 to 1 range or skipping it entirely and going to like the, the 40s after Burns. Okay. So I've seen Cameron Smith pop up on a number of times on Twitter today. And we want to hit fairways out here. Does the accuracy off the tee concern you? That would have been my number one concern just looking at his sports skill set. Yeah, yeah, definitely a concern. I don't think it's the same in the way that like at a sedge field, um, if you're not accurate, you're in trouble. Like it's you don't really want to be in this rough, but it's not the it's you're not hitting into like super narrow uh windows. So mm -hmm. you can get away with some misses here. Obviously, 
Um, he has some big hooks uh, for his misses, so that could be a concern. Um, but he won at the players, and I really do think that if you can get around TPC Sawgrass, you'll be just fine here. Um, and he had a top three or top four finish, I think, here last year. He was in position to get into that playoff and just had a bad 18th hole. But um, that proves to me that in worse form last year, he was able to get around this course. So I think he's a good fit. We obviously haven't seen him since the Open, and there's all the the live controversy speculation. Uh, but he's a Florida guy. He knows Bermuda Greens well. He, he could easily gain eight plus strokes on the greens this week and just win it with his putter at a, at a course like this, I think. Okay. Very fair. Um, Tony Fina is a another name that you mentioned and yeah, he was a player that I liked as well. The only thing that was slightly concerning was the pre- uh, previous history here where he finished 34, 65th, 27th, missed cuts. So zero top 25s and four starts, but <laughs> listen, Tony's like playing the golf of his life right now. And uh yeah, I I just I don't know if I still oh, I could get slated for saying this, but I don't know if I still trust him. If you get what I mean. Like he's just broke so many people's hearts so many times and two wins is like unbelievable. But I just I just have like a I don't know, like a bone to pick with some of these players. I I just can never get to them. Yeah, no, that's fair. I I was very high on him at the open and of course he he has this transcendent moment where he becomes a different player immediately after that or really is starting in the fourth round once he was completely out of it. So that's definitely frustrating and if you want to play devil's advocate, he won the 3M and the Rocket Mortgage with no viable players really chasing him and it was a, a very comfortable Sunday in both occasions. So you put him in a position where he's got to take down bigger names. It, it might be uh, not as easy to three-peat, but um, then the other side of that is that he also won essentially this event last year, the first event of FedEx Cup playoff. So you know he can square up against a field like this. Um, so, you know, there's good and bad. With, with me, it's all comes down to the putter with Tony. I think he's going to have a great tee degree performance. That doesn't seem like it's going to slow down anytime soon. Um, so it's just a matter of how many putts is he going to continue to hit? Yeah. And if it helps to settle your mind, he's missed both of his cuts at the last two player championships as well. If you're looking for course comps, you're going to yeah. kill me if he wins this and I put you off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Let me ask you a question here. Unless, okay, let me do this. Colin Morikawa, what are we going to do with this? Um, He's 35 to 1. And I said just Andy on, on my open previews, like we hear certain players like JT was 22 to 1 after winning the PGA at the Open Championship. And then Carl Mark House 35 to 1 here. And you just feel like some of these top, I'm not sure what he is, like top number three in the world, four, eight, something like that. I don't know. But you just feel like some of these top players can just spike at any moment. And if they get to a number like 35 to 1, you should hammer on them. So. I just get like his last two starts, miscut at the yeah or sorry, yeah, miscut at the open, miscut at Scottish T five at the US Open, miscut at the Memorial. He hits a lot of fairways. He's 40th in driving accuracy this year, and as we know, he's excellent with his irons. I don't know what I want to do with Colin here. <laughs> um, I so we were talking about like um how much do i look back at the year before and and i did read my my saint jude article from last year just to reground myself and what i was thinking and i i loved colin morikawa in the spot last year so i was not thinking that way when i first did my research but after looking back and and looking at like the reasons why i think he fits um it makes sense you if you are accurate off the tee which he's not wavered in that department um, and your approach is going to be good. If you're Colin Morikawa, forget what all the rumors were about him forgetting how to hit a cut or anything. His strokes gained approach numbers have been just fine. Um, and especially at the U S open where that was speculation. Um, he shot the low round of the day, two out of four rounds at the U S open. He really should have won that tournament. He shot the, the worst round of the day on Saturday. Um, I know all this cause I was sweating him and <laughs> found, found every way to not win that tournament but um you know he's three star he's really two starts removed from 
uh, a put together game that should have won the U.S. Open. You put them on two links courses on the other side of the pond. Who knows? Maybe he just had like a tough little travel situation, or he's just playing kind of golf in a different format. Um, you know, you can yeah. give him a pass maybe for those back to back discussions. So that was actually that was exactly my point. Is going to the Open Championship, going overseas, um as the defending champion of the Open Championship to the 150 major at St. Andrews. We can't, I feel like a lot of people underestimate how much pressure is on you to go out there and like do your media duties and communicate. And he's still only young, like, and I think I can give him a pass there as well at the Open Championship. Um, I just like, I have no idea. So I was just going through the betting board earlier. I saw him at 35 to one. I'm like, <laughs> he's killed me before and he might kill me again this week, but I'm ready to die in that hill. I think <laughs> the popular bets have been hitting at a crazy rate too. And he's, he's the guy who's going to be on a lot of cards at that number. So I don't, I I'm like kind of talking myself into it just with the way my cards kind of shaping up. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do still, but <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting <laughs> number for sure. As long as you get them, as long as you get them in your model, that's our. <laughs> yeah. Oh god! Right, I'm gonna be killed. Uh, I tell you who I have talked myself into. I think at 35 to one is Sung J M. Um, I'll tell you why. So nine, it, he's hit nine top 31s are better in ten starts at Sanderson, Honda, Valspar, and Tour Championship over the past three years. So the course comparison is there. He's coming off the back of two. T2 finishes at the Wyndham and 3M, where he's gained 17 strokes ball striking altogether. He's ninth in strokes gained off the tee and 30th in accuracy. He's on to Bermuda and he's fourth in scrambling this year. It just seems like a you have the course comp there, the ball striking is there, scrambling is there, and <laughs> like I'm just wondering how many shots he wins this boy. <laughs> Um, I love Sung Jay. I think I will bet him at the Masters every year until he wins one because I really think he has a great game for it. Um, the only thing that's not to like is the course history. For some reason, like you said, all the comps check out. He's a great Bermuda player, but great Bermuda putter. Um, his form right now might be better than it's ever been coming into this event, so that may not matter as much. But um, I think that's the only reason that you're getting a good number on. I would still say that's a good number in the in the low mid thirties, uh, coming off the back to back missed cuts. Um, so I'm 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 thinking about it for sure. It's just the course history that would give me cold feet, really. All right, one more person who's thinking about it <laughs> is uh, Brian Kirshner, who will be joining <laughs> us in two weeks on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to hearing all his picks and his hot takes. Uh, but Jay, I was, I was just going through it earlier, and I thought 35 to 1, coming off the back of two second-place finishes, I was like, like I, I don't read the betting board every week, but I would have thought like 25 to 1. Like 35 just seems like an absurd number considering how well he's playing right now, ball striking and short game and everything else. <laughs> and, <laughs> all right, that's we're going to uh, just a solo single bullet. Let's roll. Um, I'm not going to talk we, you out of it. So <laughs> We need to get some more of your picks, John, because that's what Brian is looking for. Who else are you looking for down, for down the board? Who? Why can't I speak? Who else are you looking for further down the board? Um, I'm probably going to bet Billy Horschel. Uh, he's a guy I wrote up this week in the article. You always want to play him on Bermuda in those Florida-like conditions. Um Firm and fast, especially, is is kind of his mo. Um, just won the memorial a handful of starts ago, um, and it's the off the tee that he's really fixed. That's kind of been an issue for him long term in his career, and he's been he's only lost strokes on accuracy in one event in 2022. So that's a really good sign that he'll just avoid the trouble here. Um, I don't know what his irons are going to do. It's really hard to predict with Billy Horschel how good the approach is going to be week to week, but I know that a short game is going to be good on Bermuda. It basically always is. So if you're telling me he's going to keep himself in position and it's just going to come down to how many makeable putts he's going to have, um, I kind of like that. And he's 55 to 1 is what I'm seeing on him, which is long enough for somebody who has top three course history in this field. Wow. Jeez, I did not know he was 55 to 1. Um... That's 
pretty interesting. I want to, all right, let me give you just one. I want to just reverse here for a second and go back towards the top of the board because I've made a note of this. Sky Sheffer is 16 to 1, which am I being crazy? Am I too tired here? Do I need a coffee or am I missing something? I, I don't know what to do with Scotty because I talked myself into Scotty and off of Cam Smith at the Open. And I don't think I regret that because he's obviously the world number one and he actually had pretty good links history. But I think that was a case where I just, like you said, we got used to seeing Scotty favorite in every field. He's put together some like really head scratching results where he's not playing like the world number one, the last few um, tournaments he's played in. And I, I think that shine is kind of worn off a little bit. Um, I think it's an extremely fair number based on the way he's playing in the depth of this field and like good, but not spectacular course history here. It's not a must bet for me, but it's, it's a sensible one. Um, if anybody wants to just throw 16 to one, like mm. I wouldn't talk anybody out of it. Okay, sweet. All right, let's go further than the board here. Um, I want you to give me one person or two people, whatever you think, one or two people kind of around 50 to 100 to 1. I know that's pretty wide, um, but it's designed just to stick out to you. Um, I think Hideki Matsuyama is worth a outright bet. Um, I'm not sure about DFS. I'm not sure about placements. He's very boomer bust. He had to withdraw through one round in his last start, um, with which was like a quote unquote wrist injury. But then he's shooting um, speed drills, <laughs> uh, like speed training, trying to hit like a 200 miles an hour ball speed um, the very next day. So um, I think he's fine. I it's always anybody's guess with Hideki's health. Um, I think it's a good outright bet because if he's healthy enough to play. Uh, it's a perfect course for him. It's ball strikers delight. He's, he's played very well on Bermuda courses. Even Sawgrass has had very good results. TPC Scottsdale, I think is a pretty good comp to this as well. He's had great course history there too. Um, and he was in the playoff last year. So, um, obviously suits the course. Well, it's just a, a question of health and it's a really discounted number. I'm seeing right around 50 is the best you can get on him. So, I'm very interested in that. I think I'm just waiting to see if anybody can give me better information on how healthy he is or is not. Okay, interesting. I'm seeing him at 35 to 1 over here, but a lot of times he's get better odds in America. Um, all right, let me just... I'll give two players that around 50 to 1, and then I'll ask you for like one or two of your outsiders. Um, Joaquin is a person that I'm like struggling with at the moment. Because I don't like I don't think he can get there, but I was just looking him up earlier. He's gained over five strokes ball striking in three out of his last five starts. Um and the Porter's gained over two strokes in four starts in a row. And then in his la in his last four starts, he's all strokes putting. So he had a hot porter for four tournaments, and then the last four tournaments he's gone dead with it. And he's lost strokes around the green in four out of his last five, but he's finished seventeenth here last year. I think I've already spoken myself out of him, but are you even half remotely interested in him? Um, I gave I'm him a thought, <laughs> but I, yeah, it's inconsistent form. I think um, if the number was better, I'd be there, but there's, I think there's guys I like more in that range. Okay, fair. All right. Let me give you one more and I'll ask you for yours. Um, so, one person that kind of stood out to me, and this will not be a popular bet, but Tyrrell Hatton has had like a pretty streaky run of form recently. Um, T8, T11, T24 in his last three finishes, improving every time. He's gained over 4.6 strokes on approach in two out of his last three starts. He's been pretty good to Vazbar with 25th and 39th, and T14 as Sanderson within the last 12 months. Bermuda is his favorite uh, surface, and he hit 41 out of 56 fairways last week. Um, which is obviously not a perfect comparison, but hopefully he's like starting to hit a few more fairies now because he's 163rd in driving accuracy this year. I just thought it was an interesting one at 55 to 1. Yeah, I've seen one or two other people talk him up. Uh, not a super popular bet this week, but fits what you need at this course well. Um, 
Hatton's a guy who we were just kind of waiting to see him turn it on because he was sort of becoming like a prolific winner on the European side. Um, but he has not, well, yeah, he, he hasn't won on the PGA tour since the API in 2020. So, um, just need to see a little bit more out of him for me before I bet him outright, but he's, he's gaining steam and he's trending in the right direction. So, um, another guy, there's so many options this week. It's such a good field that you get, there's a lot of guys you can talk yourself into. And that's why I'm having so much trouble finalizing a card. Okay. Let's say, okay. I want you to just say like one or two names off the top of your head, maybe like a reason or two reasons why you like them that are further than the board. Um, well, I, yeah, I, I skipped over Shane Lowry, but I, at one point I saw 40 on him, which I think is probably gone. So if he stays in 35, I'll probably pass, but, um, he's lost the putter, but everything else has been good. T to green, really good results here, uh, which I wasn't expecting. I wasn't really thinking of this as like a Shane Lowry course, basically anywhere that's like hot. I'm like not going to play Shane Lowry because guy doesn't do well in the heat, but apparently there's <laughs> something about this course that he likes. So I, I gave that a second look. Um, if he goes to 40, I, I might find a way to squeeze that on the card. Um, and then further down the board, I think my, my longest bet this week is going to be Sahith the gala. Uh, I got him at 150. I think he's somewhere around like 120 on most books. Um, this just has the feel of a Sahith course to me. He's, he's good off the tee. If he needs to hit a fairway, he, he's got a fairway finder in his game. Um, but he can go aggressive when he's in the fairway to, to generate the birdie opportunities and you need a crafty short game and he is a really crafty short game. So I like him on these sort of mid, uh, mid range, moderate scoring conditions where it's not a birdie fest cause that's not going to allow him to to gain on the field around the green, but it's not a total grind where he actually can go out there and, and, and make birdies. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe he's never played here before, so it's a guess, but I, I like the comp and um, Sanderson farms is one that that's gotten some, some comps to this as well with the Bermuda and, and he's had a runner up there. So I think it's worth a flyer. Yeah. Uh, I'll just make two quick points. So Shane Larry is I like Shane Larry in tougher courses. I've said this for the last two weeks, um, but I just don't think he has potential to go and win a birdie fest. But I think like in tougher conditions where like, and the example I always go back to is like the masters, like it was blowing Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, he's in contention. And then the, the weather kind of like improves on Saturday afternoon. And he can, I know he finished like fourth or something there, but it just felt like he didn't have the strength over the field that he usually has. Um, Ches Revy was one that you mentioned earlier, and I'm only after scrolling through, scrolling through the board, and he's had like three top six finishes here in his last four starts, which is like sick. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you need him to just hit fairways and greens, like he's your guy. And and like we were saying in the beginning, this is the type of greens that a weak putter can actually have some success on. He just won uh, the Barracuda three starts ago and he has great course history here. So uh, I think I'm going to be writing him up in my article tomorrow as a nice DraftKings play. Um, and he just won. So maybe there is some win equity still there as a bomb. For sure. All right, John, here, we're going to do this thing where you have one minute. All right. Because this needs to be an Instagram reel that I have to put up. So it has to be less than 60 seconds. And you just say top 20 or not to these 10 players. It's that easy. All okay. right. These are all between 40 and 91 with Bet365. Victor Hovland. No. JH Kim. Yes. Neiman. No. Horschel. Yes. Homa. Yes. Hatton. Yes. Connors? No. Henley? No. Wise? Yeah, yes. And to finish, Cameron Davis? No. All right, so you, Brian Kirshner, and the model maniac, Byron, are going to have a battle, a duel, to see who gets the most right out of 10 guests. Oh, sure. It doesn't even matter, because Brian Kirshner only has like 30 players to pick from. 
All right, scrap that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put it out anyway, and you can see how you do. Maybe he'll do like top three or something. We'll uh, have to, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait it. We'll go uh, percentage wise, winning <laughs> percentage. Yeah. All right. Last two questions that are unrelated to this week, but just general golf questions. It might turn into three if we have a spare minute. Presence Cup. Do the international team have a chance this year? Um, I know this is something that we haven't even thought about that much. Yeah. But. Not a great one. Um, I think the U.S. team is looking really good this year. And well, I will say the the President's Cup team hasn't really lost many of its guys. Like the the core hasn't left to live yet. Um, but I think it the depth is is not quite there compared to the U.S. and you've got guys that are going to be on this president's cup team for the U S that weren't on the Ryder cup team, like Zalatoris, Cam young, um, Burns. Uh, it's crazy that how good these guys are that weren't on the team last year. And I think mm. they're hungry to basically like audition for their Ryder cup role as well. Um, so I, I mean, I think the U S is heavy favorites. I like them. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the fact that it's going to Quail Hollow as well is kind of like a, a bomber's course. We saw how good they were at Whistling Straits. Um, I just think that I don't know what Europe or international team has to do to have a fighting chance here, but I just think they are too good. Then that's my follow-up question is Europe versus, Europe versus international team. Who do you think wins? I, I know it's just like dependent on the course or whatever, but... Um, I, I think that the international team has a better roster right now than the European team does. Um, I say that off the top of my head. I was actually, I was just having this conversation with Andy, um, about what the new Ryder cup team is going to look like in Europe. And it's still very top heavy. They're going to have Rom, Hovland, Rory Fitzpatrick. That's a really good top four, but they kind of lost the bottom end to live with like Casey's gone um, I'm assuming that Justin Rose is, is going to leave. Um, mm. but yeah, I guess that second tier would be like Shane Lowry, who's like a borderline top tier player. So you, that that's good for a fifth. Uh, um, Hatton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood. I am a little bit concerned about him going to live with him, skipping the playoffs. So he might be gone. Um, mm. but yeah, they, they've got, they've got decent depth. I, I still, think um i think the international team is a little bit deeper as i talk through this i feel like the europe team would probably be a betting favorite in this hypothetical match but i would lean the international team i agree i don't even know if europe would be the betting favorites um I'm God, just, I, should given, I should have given this more thought before I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've got some big guns and like, like Rom and, and Rory and, and Hovland and Fitz and, mm. and, and Lowry that th those are big names. Um, and they've taken big steps up this year where like Fitzpatrick was not really that intimidating at the last Ryder cup and he didn't do much, but now after winning the U S open, he's a little bit more, uh, yeah. formidable. Agreed. Um, all right, give me one name on a separate topic. Player of the year. Right now. Uh, Scott. I think it has to be Scotty. It's a two-man race, Scotty or Cam Smith. Can't, it really can't be anybody else. I mean, Tony would have to win like the last three events. Um, Which he could. <laughs> I guess he could. I guess Sam Burns could do the same thing. Um, but, I mean, Scotty's got the Masters, a WGC. Mm. The API, what's his? Oh, and the and the waste management. Those are big. Those are big wins against tough fields, and he was in the mix a little bit in um, at the Open for a bit too. So, uh, and he was in the mix at the U.S. Open. So, I think he's been a factor in all of the big events. Cam Smith, I mean, players in the Open any other year, you end the century like any other year. It's his. Um, if he wins one more playoff event, it's definitely uh, a, a conversation, a debate yeah. to be had. Okay. Agree with you there as well. Um, all right. I think that's it for the first plug live playoff podcast. 
John, it's been a pleasure having you on. I know you've already semi-plugged your stuff, but just tell people where they can find you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for staying up late. Hope you get a nice cup of coffee afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at PGA Tout, and you can find all my work on the lines. Uh, a few articles a week and a new one coming out tomorrow. John, you're the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, yeah, no, thanks very much for jumping on. and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. All right, John. Thanks, man. Bye-bye.